0: Today on the Indo-Daily, the infamous IRA nutting squad, a unit riddled with double agents.
1: If you have an informer who is, you know, a member of furious parts of the IRA, they would have known what that part of the IRA, that unit of the IRA they were a member of, they would have known what they were doing, but they wouldn't have known what everyone else was doing. And if you were a member of the nutting squad, you knew what everyone was doing, you had the overall picture, and that was why they were so valuable.
0: The notorious interrogation unit of the IRA was ruthless when it came to outing informers. Its top tier included the likes of Freddie Scapaticci, Paddy Monahan, and John Joe McGee, who are all now believed to have been double agents
1: themselves. Scapatici was referred to by a senior member of the British Army as um, the Golden Egg. We were told he was the jewel in the crown. At one stage there was even a rumour that he was taken to Chequers to meet Margaret Thatcher. People would have been struck naked, that have been deprived of sleep, that have been hooded, um, that have been told that they were going to be killed, that their bodies would never be found. And then they were told, well, if you confess, and if you confess to what you've done, well, then what we'll do is we'll let you go. They were never getting let go. Never getting let go. Never getting let go.
0: I'm Kevin Doyle, and today I'm joined by Alison Morris, columnist with the Belfast Telegraph, to look at the brutality of the Nutting Squad and whether its senior ranks were loyal to the IRA or to the British. Alison Morris, before we get into some of the names that people might be familiar with from the Nutting Squad, let's start in really simple terms by explaining what exactly the Nutting Squad was.
1: So it would have been the IRA's internal security unit. So basically, this was a very small, hand tightly-knit unit who were not just responsible for, as she is now infamous for, as for um, apparently rooting out informers within the IRA, but they had all sorts of other responsibilities as well. So they would have also looked at any IRA operations that were failed. They would have went back and looked at them and stepped them through to see why they failed, that was obviously to see if they'd been compromised, but informers, but also to see what would have went wrong, and then they had also the opposite job in that if any IRA operations were what they deemed to be a success, well they'd have also went back and stepped their way through that, and then they'd have reported back as to why they thought this worked and why this should be replicated in the future, which meant because they would have been um, basically in charge of the IRA security and the vetting of new members. I mean, so. That, that that unit would have been responsible for if someone had expressed an interest in wanting to join the IRA, they would have went back and looked at them, they'd have traced back through their family, they'd have decided whether this person was reliable, whether they were joining the IRA for the reasons that they were telling them or whether they had been sent to join them, maybe by a branch of the security services. And they'd have vetted, if you liked new IRA members. Um, in fact, you know, just this week I spoke to someone who said that Freddie she deemed them not suitable to be a member of the IRA when they were a teenager, something that they're now very grateful of as a, an older and wiser person. Um, but as a teenager living in, in West Belfast at that time, they went to, to meet with Freddie Skeptician, and he said, no, no, you're not made of the right stuff, son, off you go. So this was, would have been, they had a range of jobs, but if you think about that, that meant that between them collectively, they would have known almost everything that was going on within the IRA because they would have had to have known what operations were taking place. They also knew what new members were being recruited in. Those people then could, names, could have been passed on to the intelligence services. So to have informers within that unit of the IRA was you can see the the benefits that brought not just to special branch but to military intelligence. It was almost like having a man inside the top level of the IRA who knew everything that was going on. Yeah, so that would have been the elite. Obviously, they were the the elite unit, and you can see then why they were of such benefit to British intelligence in terms of the information that they would have brought between them all. Scapatissi, obviously, just being one member, But remember now, there's allegations that almost every member of that unit was in some way compromised.
0: Well, that's the question, Alison. If these guys knew everything that moved in the IRA, they obviously were hugely valuable to the British. How did the British get at them? Because the allegation now is that that nutting squad was riddled with informants.
1: Yeah, I mean, three different ways. So when we've looked back in the past at when informers have been uncovered and and they have been exposed, there are various different reasons. So some are compromised. Some are caught committing crimes. They're caught, their fingerprints are found on something. They're caught committing. In Freddie Scatletissie's case, it was alleged by Panorama that he had been caught in a tax fraud because he was a builder. But others have said that he willingly offered himself up. He was what was called a walk-in. So he basically walked in and said, I would like to work... For special branch have information to pass on but others would have been caught in compromising positions so say if they would have been caught their fingerprints were caught on something and they were told right you're going to go to jail for 15 or 20 years your family will be left on their own you know they'll have no money your wife will leave you all of this and they compromised them in that way in other cases people were caught maybe having affairs or they were caught sometimes in you know in relationships if you think back to the 70s and 80s that would have been considered an appropriate homosexual relationship things that at that time would have been um considered at, at that stage could have been used to compromise someone so there are various different ways that these people were recruited but also, you can see then that there were some people who were maybe recruited as quite low-level informers and then were maneuvered cleverly into those positions higher up within the IRA as well. So, Skeptishy had been an informer, we believe, since the mid-70s, but he wasn't a member of that internal security unit until, the, until 1980.
0: And there are others. There's names like Paddy Monaghan in the last few days has been reported on, is also suspected of being a British agent. Uh, the leader of the Notting Squad, John Joe McGee, as well. Like, these are big names within IRA circles.
1: There are people who, within IRA circles, would have been revered. John Joe McGee specifically um, would have been, if you like, Skeptici's boss, He's the person who would have been responsible for training him in those interrogation techniques and the techniques that were used um, by that RA internal security unit. There has also been some reports in the press that um, that other people who have yet yet to be named but could well be jigsaw identified through the Canova report. So just to put that into perspective, John Boucher, a, he's a former chief constable from England. He now heads up the Canova team, which was looking at... at Scabatissi's um, codename was known as Steak knife and he was looking at the, the murders believed to be carried out by or ordered by Steakknife. Um, that was an extensive investigation. The former Director of Public Prosecutions in Northern Ireland, Baron McGrory, had said that this was now too big and needed to be part of a, a larger investigation. The Chief Constable at that time. Um, who said, look, this can't be investigated by the PSNA because it wouldn't be considered independent by the public. So we're going to bring an outside investigator in. That's John Boucher, and that's the Canova investigation. There are families that believe that their loved ones' deaths could have been prevented. There could have been state intervention. Now, again, that's not straightforward. We need to look at the circumstances of what may or may not been known by those state actors, those state forces, when? And what opportunities they may or may not have had to do anything. And that investigation's all but finished and is due to release this report very soon. And that report should have been released earlier this year, it should have been released at the end of last year, it was delayed, it should have been released earlier this year, it was delayed again. We're now not expecting it maybe until um, the autumn. And that the reason for that is obviously national security needs to go through that line by line with a fine tooth comb to take out anything that they think could compromise the safety of someone.
0: It strikes me that the further we get from the height of the troubles in that era, the more we're going to learn about what exactly went on at the time. Is this not hugely embarrassing for a lot of those hard men in the Republican movement who were all about fighting for a 32 county sovereign republic? And meanwhile, we're on the British books, supplying, I presume, some very useful information on the colleagues who are also fighting for that same cause.
1: It's hugely embarrassing for, well, you can see, if you think back to when Skeptici was exposed, he was exposed in 2003 by a Sunday newspaper. Um, they knocked a the store on the Saturday night. They told him he was going to appear in the Sunday newspaper the next day and as part of that he then first of all tried to brazen that out we're told by it was reported that he immediately disappeared he went to england to meet with his handlers they assured him that he should be okay he then returned back again um and in terms of of that he tried to brazen it out so he gave a press conference with two sort of journalists were asked to go and interview him He denied that he was an informer. He then gave a rather bizarre interview with his local paper where he presented himself to be a victim of some sort of media dirty tricks. But within weeks, he he realised he wasn't going to be able to keep this hidden for much longer. And that was when he then, um, he fled. And he fled and was never seen again. And the reason, when you think about it, is people that, um, Skeptici had alleged to be informers, they were taken away and they were murdered. They were tortured, they were interrogated, they were murdered. He wasn't. He was allowed to leave with his own free will. You got to ask yourself why and what was different about him. Well, it was 2003, so it was the very early days of the peace process. Decommissioning hadn't been completed. There were still, you know, calls from hardline unionists for Sinn Féin to be thrown out of those peace talks. To they had to bring not just they had to not just convince unionists, the governments that they were um, at this point in time genuine about peace but they had to bring their own base along with them and their own base was coming to terms with the fact that the war, as they would have uh, have known it, was over. Um, And some of them were maybe asking questions about, well, I went to jail for so many years. Why did I do that? Or what was the point of that? Um, And so you could see that at that time to have someone who was um, in charge of rooting out the spy catcher, let's say, within the IRA of taking informers, and um, ordering them to, for them to be murdered. And all of the people who Skeptichie is accused of having been involved either in actually directly murdering or ordering their murders were members of their own community, were members of the Republican community. They were people from north and west Belfast. Culling agents was, of course, one of the squad's key tasks. So. Scabatici's British Army handlers can have been in absolutely no doubt that he was involved in the murder of his fellow agents time and time again. Think about that. So there were people who were accused of being an informer, which brought with it a terrible stigma at that time. Um, and that stigma would have
0: attached to their family, their siblings, to everyone around them. That So by yes. the, but purely by the murder, that they, they were actually being the ones tarnished with a, a, a massive target on the back of, of all their relatives as well.
1: Yeah. um, and, and so it still carries stigma to this day because we still struggle to get them get those families to speak to us. I mean, during my time as a journalist, I, I have to hand it to Frankie Mulhern, who died earlier this year. His son was one of those people. And I remember him coming into the front office of the newspaper I worked in, you know, many years ago, 10, 11 years ago and saying, can we do something about this? And he was one of the few that was willing to speak out because they still carry that stigma. But think about in terms of I I suppose from if you were in British intelligence, the people being murdered were members of the the Republican community. They were members of the IRA in most cases. Then their funerals had to take place within those Republican communities and all of that had to happen in a, a situation where it was causing division, it was causing suspicion. So you can see the benefits of that. But then it also asked questions about the sort of hierarchy of victims, we're told, that those informers saved thousands of lives, but they didn't save the lives of the people who were murdered. Um, and so those people, were they considered to, by the state to be expendable because they were of such a, a low level and keeping Scabitishy in place and not blowing his cover was much more important. But then- and were we they, Alison,
0: on that point, were they, Almost, I mean, we talk about British agents, and I don't want to trivialise it, but like, it's almost James Bond, licensed to kill. They they were given free reign in many ways to carry out these atrocities.
1: And that's exactly, I suppose, that, that what their families feel now. They feel that, well, if, if all of these informers were in this place and sometimes their loved ones were taken away for a week or two weeks at a time to be interrogated, surely they could have been saved and they weren't. Why were they considered expendable? To see if them would have exposed the fact that there was an informer in their ranks and that's it. eventually what did happen. And all of those questions we hope will be answered in Canova because I have met John Boucher I don't believe that he was ever going to get convictions because I think we're now well beyond the conviction stage of our legacy process. But I do believe that he's a man who's honourable and I do think that he is intending to try and get to the bottom of, of what went on during that time. Um, and so I do believe that he is is someone who has gone to try his best to get those families answers and they have up until this point in the May trusted him to try and find out those answers.
0: We've talked quite a bit about Scapaticci, but of course he's not on his own. Tell me about... The likes of Paddy Monaghan and John Joe McGee?
1: Yeah, so John Joe McGee obviously would have been the boss, Gabotechi's boss, and there was a, a a sort of method that they used when they were interrogating victims. So the person was lured from their home on many occasions. The interrogation would have taken place over a long period of time. And John Joe McGee was the person who I suppose maybe devised this method of torture. People would have been stripped naked, they'd have been deprived of sleep, they'd have been hooded um, they'd have been told that they were going to be killed, that their bodies would never be found. And then they were told, well, if you confess, and if you confess to what you've done, well, then what we'll do is we'll let you go, but you'll have to go and give a press conference and say you did this. They were never getting let go. None of them are going to be let go. And then they were confessed. And in many cases, and John John McGee did this and Skeptishy also did this, they were recorded, you know, with one of those old-fashioned sort of top-down top tip tape, tape recorders and they recorded their confessions on those. And then, which is, is quite sadistic when you think about it, their families were visited by one of those members of the so-called Nutton Squad and those confessions were played to them. Their their loved one's last words saying, I'm an informer, you know, I work for, this is when I started working for them, this is what information I give them. And that was then played to their loved ones. And on one occasion we're told... One informer was told he was going to be let home, let to go home and he, they was let it blindfolded and told to feel along a wall and he would come to your door and knock it and they would call for help. And when he felt along the wall, he fell into a ditch and was shot in the ditch. You know, there was quite sadistic practices being used here in order to try and elicit these. And that was for a number of reasons. That wasn't just to get a confession out of that person. That was also because those rumours then would have spread throughout the community and it was to put the, you know, the fear of God basically and anyone else from becoming involved in anything like this. Um, So there was a a lot of coercion and intimidation that would have uh, came from the very top down. But also these people would have had to have been the most trusted within the IRA because they were the people who were trying to root out the informers, to look at what went wrong in terms of any IRA operations. So they would have been so valuable. You know, I think uh, um, Scabatici was referred to by a senior member of the British British Army as um, the golden egg. We were told he was the jewel in the crown. At one stage, there was even a rumour that he was taken to checkers to meet Margaret Thatcher. Um, you know, he was as valuable an informer as you could get because of that position within that. If you have an informer who is, you know, a member of furious parts of the IRA, they would have known what that part of the IRA, that unit of the IRA they were a member of, they would have known what they were doing, but they wouldn't have known what everyone else was doing. If you were a member of the Nutton Squad, you knew what everyone was doing. You had the overall picture and that was why they were so valuable. And that's why it seems now that almost every one of this member, this unit of the IRA was compromised in some way.
0: And this is a subjective question, Alison, but in your own assessment of this, was it that the British were really good at capturing these guys, if you know what I mean by capturing in terms of getting them on board as a double agent? Or was it that these guys at the top of the Republican movement who were almost all powerful, let's be honest, from what you're telling us, that they actually were just out for themselves and that doing a deal with the Brits just kept them safe.
1: Um, You have, you know, British intelligence who have all the resources in the world to throw at these kind of things and it was in their benefits to have this, you know, to have the IRA infiltrated in that manner. You also have people who are very flawed human beings who were You know, in in Skeptischie's case, he seemed to really enjoy his role within that so-called Nutting Squad, which was quite sadistic, the kind of practices he was using, that you have to be a a very certain type of individual to even want to involve yourself in that. How did most IRA volunteers think of him? They were afraid of him. (laughs) Absolutely. Because?
0: Because? His interrogation tactics. Hang you upside down not allowed to sleep but he always seemed to get the job done
1: so you have this sort of I suppose perfect storm of people who were Um, carrying out this for their own reasons because they some of them maybe felt that they were doing it for a cause but others because they quite enjoyed having that ultimate power over everybody around them and people being in fear of them. Um, And then you had the fact that they knew everything, they knew this information. And then also remember, and I suppose maybe not most important but also important, there was a financial incentive as well. So they were being paid huge sums of money for the information that they were passing over. Um, In some cases, you know, scavitation, we were told at that stage, would have been getting paid around £80,000 a year plus bonuses. That's a hell of a lot of money when you go back to the early 1980s and what you could have done in terms of that.
0: And presumably, Alison, lastly, when that Operation Canova report comes out, we will probably get some more clarity in terms of people who did or didn't do things during the 70s, 80s. Do you think at that point, is there any possibility that those at the higher levels of the, the provisional IRA would ever apologise to some of those victims who were perhaps unfairly targeted by the Nutting squad? Or is that just something that's never going to happen?
1: Um, interesting. enough, some have had apologies. There are people who the they IRA then ended up having to admit that they completely got it wrong and they were never informers at all and that they had just been set up basically to save someone else. I do think that it's at the point now that when we're looking at who was involved and who was involved in terms of that entire squad, that it is really. I think it's it's important now that when we look at things like you know the British government has in the past uh, you know, um, still and apologised in terms of Bloody Sunday and events like that. I do think that you know that there is a definitely a case to be made for the IRA to come out and say that none of this should have happened and apologise for their their role in it, but also. Um, I do think that you know there's there's various reasons probably why that isn't going to happen anytime soon because from their point of view, whenever he was outed, and when it became clear that they could no longer hide the fact that he wasn't an informer, I suppose the narrative was turned to well, this is completely. The, the fault of the, the British state and the, their dirty war, but the IRA have to take responsibility for that as well because these people were members of their own community.
0: Alison Morris, thank you very much. My thanks to Alison Morris, columnist with the Belfast Telegraph. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Anna Vegler-Chick with sound by Niall MacMonagle. Archive clips were from RTE, BBC, UTV and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.